listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, today I, I have a hunch that we are going to put an emphatic exclamation point on our series on value creation and just sort of drive it home with our second ever second time guest. So welcoming back Jay Lobbs. Jay is uh, CEO of Spalding Ridge, a serial entrepreneur and one of the smartest people that we know about value creation because he's been on like every angle and every side of it. So Jay, maybe just to jump us, like just take us right into it. Just give us kind of like your quick backstory because you have literally been on every side of the value creation topic, buyer, seller, builder, whatever else you can think of. Well, guys, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm honored to be the second repeat guest and thank you for the kind introduction. But my background is I've started two professional service organizations. The first was a company called Bluestone International, which I literally started around my kitchen table, built that up to a little over 100 consultants, and I sold that to Huron Consulting in 2013. I spent three years at Huron running their technology consulting group and built that to a little over 100 million in revenue. Then my second firm, which I started in 2018, currently called Spalding Ridge. In four and a half years, we've built this over 500 consultants, 100 million in revenue. And so although doing this twice, the businesses are actually quite different in how we set them up. And I also have been on the board of six different IT service consulting firms, and I have acquired or led the acquisition of nine IT services firms. And, you know, so given that I've acquired nine, I've probably looked at, you know, at least a hundred, if not more. So I've seen this from a lot of different angles, not to mention even been a consultant for a few consulting firms. So a lot of experience in the space. I, I mean, a little bit, I guess. I mean, you made the comment coming in that we've talked about value and it's been all advisors talking about value and there haven't been that many owners. So, so we're excited to have you here to have the kind of the all perspectives, owner, buyer, seller, advisor, builder, consultant, every angle. So no pressure, I guess. So let's just start at the top then. Like, you know, when you think about value, how do you think about value? How do you define value? Well, for for us, you know, there's, Building firm value for the shareholders, and in our case, we don't have outside shareholders. It is the employees of our 500 employees, probably call it 100 plus, have some equity in the company. So we are thinking about how we build the value over time. But if you are going to build a valuable organization, you certainly have to be delivering every day, delivering value to your clients because the clients are the ones that are, you know, cutting us checks at the end of every month. And if they're not realizing the value in our work for them, you know, you can forget about creating any value for your firm. So clients are first and foremost central to everything. Yeah. I mean, if you kind of do, you know, do the right thing by your clients, the firm value is really more of a result of doing great work. Because when I think of our you know, four and a half years of getting up to the size we have, our clients, you know, they're not hiring us kind of by accident. You're doing something right if you can scale as quickly as as we have. And, you know, I always say, too, that when you're buying professional services, 
you have a lot of smart buyers out there. And you guys talk about this a lot on your podcast that, you know, they're well-educated. They know in, in the different spaces, what firms are successful or what are, who's being innovative and, and having great results, great outcomes for their clients. All right. So what else goes in the mix then? So, so you start with value to the client. What else lumps into the, the you know, the, the universe of value? Well, from the company's side, we know that there are certain, you know, just call it financial targets or, or profile of your income statement, essentially, that an acquirer would view as, as valuable over time. And so for us, what does that really mean? We're very careful in how we price our engagements, how we staff our engagements, and how we've built our team, you know, which is essentially the vast majority of our costs, to make sure that although, you know, we're delivering value for our client, that the work we're doing is also creating value for our firm. You know, we're, we're not in business to, you know, break even or, you know, to, to not make money. If you want to attract good talent, I firmly believe you have to have a growing and profitable business to be able to invest into the business to make it a landing spot that is attractive to top talent because you know then you get this flywheel effect of the top talent deliver better outcomes for our clients and you know you can see the flywheel effect going with that does that make sense it makes total sense so you're very purposeful about every engagement you know you know every engagement is like a little mini income statement right and so you right. you you add them all together and you have a firm wide income statement so everyone has to reflect what you want that outcome to look like Yes. Yes. We, and, and I'll say we're much more disciplined at this firm than we were, or than I was at my first firm in saying no, you know, certain projects just aren't right for us if it doesn't have the right profile. And, you know, I can understand a buyer maybe not liking that, but, but I would say if you're in business to sell something, you know, typically the business doesn't last very long if you're not making money. So you want to work with someone that's going to be there and is established so you can count on their service, you know, year after year. Jay, you make that sound really simple. And I think, you know, one of the things that has has struck me in this series on value creation is, you know, all of our listeners, all of our guests have been in the business school. They understand, you know, the rudiments of creating shareholder value. But the way you you describe that, this operating discipline is so critical. And it's really the thing that I, I think differentiates the firms that I interact with. What changed other than, hey, I want to make more profit this time, but what changed in the way you viewed these companies from the first one to this one? Well, I would say a lot at the first one, we would get attracted by, you know, maybe acquiring a certain logo as a new client. In many cases, doing whatever was possible to close that business. And then you realize, oh boy, I have a very complicated project. I'm not making any money. My people that are working on this engagement hate the project and maybe in return kind of then start to not like the firm they work for, you, you get a set of consequences that simply don't scale. 
So we've tried to keep the second business very simple. Don't overthink it. Because when you have the right profile of clients where you're, like I said, pricing, staffing, you're, you're driving appropriate margin, you know, everyone wins. I think when you have a team of consultants that are excited about the engagement they're on, they deliver uh, better outcomes. I think that, you know, also kind of going along with that, when the firm knows that the client that they're making, you know, decent margin on, you know, we're going to line up all the right resources to support it and invest in growing the account over time. You know, we don't want to be kind of a, a nickel and dime type firm where, you know, this really, even though we are selling projects, we're trying to to build relationships over time. You know, it kind of reminds me when you did the podcast with Coastal Cloud, how they, you know, do a good job of, you know, tracking lifetime value of the client. You know, you you like you do the right things and you get good outcomes consistently over time. And, and, and that's how we've done this. It, what, what I heard you say, and, and I've seen this in, in my own experience is you know who you are and you know the clients that value the value that you provide and the operating discipline that adds to value is being okay with that. Is that a fair way of looking at it? Absolutely, Jeff. You know, we we talk a lot about our ideal client profile and where we are going to be successful and we have it pretty well dialed in. Like we know most of our most successful clients are a one to $10 billion US company with some sort of international operations. Those, the clients that fit in that bucket are nine times out of 10. That's where we are most successful. And you define success client back. So you say we're successful in those organizations because we create the most value for those clients. And then that leads to financial targets we hope to hit. Yes. You know, you, you deliver and, you know, we do the CSAT scoring and, 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 you know, we track lifetime value of client too. So we see if there's repeat work, but I can also tell you, and this is how we manage our, our senior leaders here. I know the contribution margin, you know, our margin of every statement of work we've ever signed of every lifetime value client. And I can also do it by our partners. So by our, our senior leaders, I know, the profitability of their book of business too. So by us getting at that level of detail, you know, once again, good outcomes come out of that because we have a healthy business so we can continue to invest and go forward. And if you're an outside investor, what do you want to see? You want to see consistent growth at the right margins. You know, it's pretty simple at the end of the day. So that that operating discipline of, of managing those engagements, I as you were describing that, Jay, I saw this, you know, distribution curve. And is that curve getting taller and taller and less flatter and flatter that you're getting better at scoping and and pricing these engagements? And it's not happenstance with a bunch of outliers that averages, you know, to something acceptable in the middle. Yeah, I mean, we've tried, we've more or less trained our people that are out in the market. They've stopped even asking for exceptions on jobs that are poorly priced. I mean, it's nice from a sales model perspective that you just have a more efficient process if you know the contribution margin is not, you know, kind of within 
our guidelines don't even bother asking because we just say no. And I would also say, you know, sometimes, you know, we're not perfect. You don't always get the the estimate right. But if we have a client situation where we know it's not a good situation, I mean, the reality of it is, is they're probably thinking the same thing that we are, mm. that we'll be, you know, we, we want to do what we said we we're going to do and finish the project successfully. But at this company, we have at many times declined to continue to work with some of our clients where at the first company, I never fired a client at that first company where we have fired clients numerous times the second time around. And I think the results speak for themselves that we have our best assets focused in the places that you know are, are best for the firm and best for our people. What are some of the... <laughs> some of the reasons you fire clients, what are some of the red flag indicators you're looking for that says, mm, this isn't, this isn't working? Well, different companies look at consultants in under kind of different lenses. You have some that view, and I would say correctly view, look, if you build a really good partnership with your consulting firm, some amazing outcomes can happen because it's a, it's a great relationship in both directions where some clients have this view that they are going to squeeze every penny mm-hmm. and, you know, treat consultants very poorly. I mean, I've been all sorts of colorful languages come my way over the years. <laughs> and, and, you know, in, in those situations, you know, there are other firms that will take their money, but, you know, we don't want to be, we don't want to be involved in that because it's difficult to be successful once again in the war for talent that we we have today, you know, you don't want to put your people in those situations either. You know, yeah. we track, this is a little meandering, but we track very closely our departures and of our consultants and what engagement they were working on before they left to see that if, you know, maybe that's a red flag that we're having, you know, an issue with a particular engagement and how they're treating our people. I love that. What, what great insights. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. How did you feel the first time you fired your first client? I can go back to that moment. I mean, literally, like it just happened a few seconds ago. It was almost surreal. You know, the the actual issue with the, the client kind of ended up being a non-issue because they went back to the drawing board and decided to approach us and handle us differently. <laughs> and, and in that particular situation, that's actually worked out okay. The relationship got reframed and it's okay. But the big impact was the team saw that we were willing to do that. And that made a tremendous impact that, that you know, we're one of the, these firms that, you know, we put our values on the wall. We actually mean it, you know, versus what I would say many, you know, like to tout their values, but when no one's looking, you know, we'll do whatever they can to try to make a buck. So let's change gears a little bit. You've built a pretty clear worldview on what value creation looks like. So who are some of the folks that you've pulled from or drawn from to shape your view on that? How did you build this this kind of view of the world? 
Well, the building firm value, I guess I'll say no one taught me that. I mean, sometimes I, I do say to myself, I feel lucky that I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin and, and didn't know anyone before moving to Chicago that I could kind of figure out some of these things on on my own. Like the first company, I founded that with a friend of mine. We were both in our 20s and we didn't really know what we were doing. But I think where the learnings came from is being very data centric on you know, watching, you know, when we run different plays or you're looking at our different clients in detail, you know, what does the data tell us, you know, to, to almost not get caught up in in the emotions of, you know, kind of, as I already mentioned, certain logos. But then the, like, how to look at a firm, a lot of that has been informed by looking at firms myself. The first company, you know, we bought a handful of firms and we have at, at here at Spalding Ridge too. And so you get to see a lot of what works and not just like what works pre-transaction, but when you buy something, what's of value because you have sustained success on the other side of the transaction. But but also like to other business owners, I would say out there, I take a lot of calls from private equity, whether it's private equity or even strategic buyers, and I'll give them a little background on our firm and I'm fairly open in sharing and sharing information and just to get their take on my business. Because in you know most cases they'll they'll give you some good insights too on what they like and and, and maybe what they don't like about your business. Because I've seen, you know, in, in a lot of cases the entrepreneur you know who owns the consulting firm being like very careful and having those conversations, not sharing any information. I look at it as hey, it's a learning opportunity to get someone else's perspective because a business is only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. So, Yeah, I, I think that's a really smart thing to do because you think about how frequently people would probably more be on their heels, more like, well, I don't know if I want to share this information. I don't know this organization that well. Or So out of curiosity, what, what other advice do you have for you know managing partners or owners of firms that are trying to maximize their value. So one piece is, to, is just to talk to people when they inquire. When a private equity firm calls you, take the call, have a conversation. Conversation is not a um, letter of intent. It's just a conversation, right? Yeah. So um, what else would you advise them to do, especially since you've you know, acquired some firms or acquired a lot of firms by, by many measures? Yes. I mean, I, I would say the, the, the value of a, a network and just how important that is I, I think in at least in the space that or many of the spaces that I play in, in many cases, our competitors, you know, their CEOs or their senior leaders are my friends, too. And, you know, friendships developed over time and, you know, learning, you know, from each other. And, you know, because at the end of the day, it's typically not the CEO of one firm versus the CEO of the other firm out trying to close, you know, a particular like the same deal. So I, I, I think the value of a, a network is is very important. I would also say, although we don't have it here at Spalding Ridge, I've seen it from the different boards that I'm on is if you know getting a, a, a set of board members that have done it before, you know, not you know, kind of your your buddies or you know, maybe people with within your sort of immediate network, but you know, reach out and you know, try to find some people that complement uh, what you're maybe not so good at and kind of try to bring them around you and help to get their advice. But, you know, kind of where I started though, taking the call from the private equity guy, I would also say, you know, maybe be open to talking to 
you know, some of the investment bankers that are trying to develop relationships with you. I mean, you oftentimes have to take it with a grain of salt, some of the things they have to say, but, you know, you can learn some things from them, how they are seeing the market, or maybe if there's a transaction, if one of your competitors transacted, maybe talk to that bank and see what they learned through the process. Oftentimes, like a good banker will be willing to share some of that information. Great advice. Jeff, you may have more questions, but I, I have one one last question that I want to ask, and it's sort of like a life question. So it's like, okay, if you could go back in time to, to young Jay and think back to young Jay in his 20s, starting Bluestone, building a business, selling it and everything that came with it. What's the life wisdom you would give young Jay? Like, you know, what's the one thing you look back and say, man, I really wish I had known that before I started this whole journey. Well, the, the list is probably quite long on what I would uh, like to <laughs> not, <laughs> not experience because, you know, it took us eight and a half years to get to a, a hundred people that first time out. I would say, though, it, it is really who you surround yourself with. And that business, as young as we were when we started it, we would have benefited from having an outside group of advisors, you know, whether board of directors or, or even just some better mentoring you know, to help us through that journey. Because I would say that first company, we were actually incredibly good technically at what we were doing, but we were not very good business people. And we could have used more help in being better business people. And, and that's not that uncommon in, I think, professional services where you get really smart, talented practitioners. But when it comes time to actually running the business, they're not very sophisticated and so if I had to do it all over again, I would have tried to surround myself with some people that would have helped me on the business side. Yeah, that's great advice to many of us and many of our clients. So another, I guess I have another question now. Are you glad you've been on this ride? Because it's been one heck of a ride, it sounds like. You know, it's like growing two firms rapidly, acquiring firms, sitting on boards. <laughs> like, you know, Do you look back and say, man, what a great ride? Or do you think to yourself, what was I thinking? No, I, I, I love doing this. The part that I, I, I love the most is the relationships that you make along the way, whether it's the people that are a part of your team or many clients that I've been with for a long time. And especially as you see them advance in their careers. So I you know, I always refer to a few of our best clients now at Spalding Ridge, where the CFO is someone that I knew when they were like the manager of finance or something like that 15 years ago. I've gotten to kind of see them advance through their career. Or I have seen numerous people that were a part of the first company have gone on to be senior leaders and even a few founders of, of some tech companies and, and, and getting to see that success. I love it because, you know, it's just, you know, our, our motto of our company, our number one value is all business is personal. And so for me, I just love those connections and I'm not sure what I would do without them. So that's a great mantra. Jay, this was wonderful. I really appreciate you joining us again. Um, hey, you you're know, not you're not moving to cut cut me off already, are I'm you? I'm trying to because you're going to ask some silly question that takes us on the wrong direction. <laughs> well, that but, may but be. No, I'm that, not. You can, my, you, can, you can have one question. My privilege as a co-host. Hmm. Jay, I have two. Maybe I have a comment, then I have a, a, a question. What I hear from you and what I have seen in you as a leader, 
this whole value creation revolves around people and value is an outcome of relationships. And you just alluded to that, you know, to clients, but even more so than clients, your own people, your band as, as you, you call it. Firms talk a good game about that, about people being their most important asset. But ultimately, the most valuable firms have the best people doing the best work. Isn't that the bottom line? Yeah. You know, I'll be the first to say we're not perfect as, as far as the, the people go. You know, we've, we've made some mistakes and, and, and there are some situations that I frankly regret in how we've handled some people. But, you know, generally speaking, the, the value of a firm or the, 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 the major component of a firm, if you are going to exit someday, is, is a core group of high-performing bandmates and and having that to really, you know, rely on that, have the key relationships with clients, have key relationships with the broader teams internally, and also that really know how to run the model. As I, you know, mentioned about, you know, how we look at, you know, pricing here, because when you are buying a people business, you know, you're, you're buying the people really at the end of the day. And so, if you have that core group that's really bought into everything I mentioned, you know, that's where the value comes from, or that's where you realize the value post-transaction. I mean, it seems to me that you're a very systems-oriented, process-oriented person. And so it seems to me that it's not just the people, it's the structure you've built around them. And that's where the magic really is, is that you've built a structure around them that enables those people to perform at a level much higher than they could individually or even as a group inside somebody else's firm because of what you've built for them. I don't know if that's you agree with that, but that's that's what I take away from what you just said. Well, in order to, to scale a business, I have a little bit view there's an order of operations. There's the people first, and then it's the process second. You get the right yeah. people on the bus, and, and we screen all of our candidates through the Patrick Lencioni Humble Hungry Smart methodology. And so we get the right people in. But then yes, we have a very systematic approach to how we run the company. And and when you I think have that combination, plus I would say our technology partners are some of the best in the business too, you can, you know, rapidly scale your company. Yeah. We shouldn't ignore that, by the way, because, you know, the last time we had you on, that was one of my big takeaways is that you definitely have a good vision of which technology partners to, to, to align with. And you've proven that again and again and again. So I, I wouldn't want to discount your role as a leader because I think that would be unfair. So, Jeff, you know, what do you think? I think Jay's brilliant. I love having him on as a guest. I think we should make him the first third time repeat. Um, I'm yeah. game for that. I am game for that. Uh, it was, it was way, fabulous. way too kind. Way too kind. Thanks for joining us again. It was really insightful. And, and I, like I said, I really like this as sort of like one of the you know really, really critical pieces of this value creation story is the view from the, the owner, you know, the person who's, who's built firms, sold firms, bought firms, kind of everything. So I really, really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to share with, with us. And thank you. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. 
Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.